0: Welcome to another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm your host, Rachel. Today's story is truly the definition of the Strong Towns movement in action, I think. It starts with a Strong Towns member recognizing a problem in her community and then working tirelessly, persistently over a period of years to solve it. Mary Jones is a native Hawaiian who lives in Honolulu, Her background is in civil engineering and real estate development, but she's also a mom to five kids, and that's really where this story starts. Jones was trying to walk her children to school on a perilously dangerous street, and that frustration with the street led her to stand up in city council meetings, to lobby the city, and eventually, upon finding out that the road was actually privately owned, which is a common occurrence in Hawaii, Jones actually bought the road herself. Then she made the changes she had been begging the city to make, planting street trees, lowering the speed limit, protecting the sidewalk area from cars, and charging for parking, putting the money raised from parking fees towards the upkeep of the road. I'm not going to say too much more because it is best when you hear it directly from Mary Jones. She is a dedicated Strong Towns advocate if ever there was one. So get ready to learn and be inspired by this interview. So Mary Jones, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up doing this work around um, safer streets?
1: So I live in a neighborhood, um, which is in Honolulu, Hawaii, basically the slopes of Diamond Head kind of towards Waikiki. And, you know, I have five children two of whom attend the elementary school three blocks away on this on this road leahi avenue and this whole project sort of started you know sort of very innocently my my daughter was starting kindergarten and i had noticed that this road was very dangerous because we would never walk on it because you know the the shoulders and everything had been you know covered with cars and there were abandoned vehicles and people living in cars all along it and there was no traffic calming measures. There was speeding. It was really a mess. And I, you know, I went to the tour of the school before she started. And I asked the principal, you know, has anyone ever complained about, you know, the road in front of the school? And she said, oh yeah, sometimes people do. And you know, there's nothing we can do, but you should go to the neighborhood board meetings. So, you know, I just started, I just went and I kind of listened and I, you know, got up and I spoke and talked about it and, you know it was it, it started off very sort of you know i was very naive let's put it that way and you know i i said oh there's this road and you know this is not just any road i mean it has you know it has an elementary school it has two parts of um capilani park which actually is like the this really large sort of um grand park that exists between you know the really urban areas of Waikiki and Diamond Head like you know, if you're if you see like sort of the, the tourist photos of, you know, Waikiki Beach, you can see Diamond Head in the background. And there's sort of a big green space. That's the park. And, you know, the, the parks and recs has one of their like sort of office headquarter buildings on in this area. Actually, the headquarters for our city and county um, lifeguards is on Leahi Avenue. There's also a community garden that's on Leahi Avenue. So, you know, this wasn't just a res- residential street with just homes and things. I mean, this was a, a pretty, in my opinion, significant street with a lot of um, a lot of you know properties that had usage. You have you know the school. You have people going to the park to recreate. You have soccer practice. You have football practice. You have you know people going in and out of the community garden. The lifeguards are you know they don't you know sort of come in hot. They don't do emergency in and out of their headquarters, but they do store all of their equipment there. You know, mm-hmm. there's lifeguard towers, there's jet skis and whatnot. And so, you know, I sort of, you know, gave this speech at the at the neighborhood board meeting saying, you know, this isn't just any street, you guys, you know, we'd like the city and county, we refer to it as the city, to, you know, step in and, and try and make this safer for us, right? So mm-hmm. immediately after the meeting, you know, people came up to me. You know, there was a guy on the board who said he lived on the street and that was a reason he joined the board was to try to get safety improvements. There were, you know, one of our state representatives was there and he gave me some hints. He said, no one's going to listen to you unless you, you know, have a, a bunch of people. You need to get more bodies in here and do this. So I, you know, emailed a bunch of neighbors. We put a petition together to get sidewalks put in and We got maybe about 58 signatures within, you know, a couple of weeks. And I had a friend who lived nearby. One more thing about the road. There's, there's an area where there's 13 condos in a Mm -hmm. circle that is that this road is the only access to that circle. So she lived in the area where there was the condos and she went around and got some signatures too. I mean, it wasn't like a full blown, you know, we were thinking we should stand on the side of the street and just get everyone walking by. But we figured just, you know, maybe having a page or two of signatures and would be enough to, you know, get some attention. So basically, you know, the city and county showed up at the, or the, you know, the the petition kind of went nowhere, but the board, uh, the neighborhood board chair invited the head of, um, the city and county department of facilities maintenance to come in maybe two or three meetings later. And he came in and this is when I sort of stepped into this, like just crazy abyss of private roads in actually throughout our whole state, not just, uh, Honolulu. So, you know, he basically said, um, and not in a very nice way, in my opinion, which is sort of what spurred me into action because I was so angry that he that they wouldn't even listen and didn't even seem to care. And I'm thinking, you know, th- this is this is the city like we pay for all of these services. And, you, you you know, there's there's children walking in the middle of the street and you don't even seem to care. And, you know, he basically said, sorry, it's a private road. And the only thing the city will do on on private roads citywide is um, They will patch potholes, they will pave, and they will replace existing damaged signage. Hmm. So I'm going, okay, well, that's not really that helpful, right? Because that's not the problem. And um, we formed a permitted interaction group under the neighborhood board for this street. I started a, a traffic safety committee through the elementary school. And over the course of several years, we sent letters to the city, sent letters to the state, you know, asking for school zone signage, asking them to do a speed study to reduce the speed limits. And everything just came back. Sorry, it's a, it's a private road. And, hmm. you know, when you ask them, well, if it's a private road, who owns it? I mean, they just sort of laugh and say, we don't really know. And <laughs> there are apparently wow. just on the island of Oahu, There are 700 miles of private roads. Hmm. And throughout the state, they they did a study and I think in 1989 and they have, you know, they had, I think they found back then like 350 or so private roads throughout the state that they still weren't sure who owned or the, or the, or the counties were fighting with the state over who had to pay for the improvements and manage them. And so it's really, it really is just like a huge, huge mess. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's kind of how, that's kind of how I got you know, got, got started on this. Um, At some point um, I actually went and I was so angry that they wouldn't do anything. And I decided that I was going to figure out at some point how, who owns this road? There had to be an owner, right? So I, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a friend who was an attorney and she said, okay, you can do like, you know, these federal information requests, you can do this. I just peppered shotgun approach to every city, you know, department parks and recs, this, that, you know, I I was working with our councilman and I just started sending out requests for information. I got a hit of a deed of another part of the road where the city, the previous owner had um, deeded this, the, another part of another section of Leahi Avenue to the city. Then mm-hmm. I just started going down to the Bureau of Conveyances where they, you know, keep all the deeds. And I started doing some research. I met, you know, the guy down there who worked for attorneys, who was a title searcher and he kind of just, you know, showed me what to do. And I found all of the, the documents. And I was able to determine that the road was, um, it, it, at least in my opinion, was still owned by, the one of our um, ali'i trusts. So Hawaii used to be um, a kingdom. So mm-hmm. th- this was um, King Lunalilo's land back then, and, the, and when he died, they subdivided it and, and sold off all of the all of the sort of adjacent parcels. But the roads just ended up being sort of like just kind of drifted out there, right? So I, hmm. so I knew one of the trustees of the trust, which actually still exists today, and um, their their mission is um, elderly care, and so I you know, I phoned him up and I said, you know, I think you guys still own this road. And they, so <laughs> they did their own title search. You know, we had, it was, it was confusing, but basically they determined, and then we appealed to the state to get it declared a disputed or abandoned road because there had been some legislation that had tried to clear up some of these issues in the past. And the state said, no, it's not, Disputed. It's not abandoned. It is, in fact, still owned by Luna Lilo Trust, and they, you know, they don't have funds. They they fundraise to help with the elderly care and whatnot. So, we, you know, of course, worked with the city council. You know, begged them to take the road. You know, they Luna Lilo Trust that we, you know, we don't have the funds. We don't have the resources to manage this, to maintain it, to improve it. You know, this is not this is not something that we can do. So, you know, of course, that was rejected. And so, at some point, I just realized that the only way. That we would ever get any improvements made was to acquire the road, and basically, because of the usage of the area, you could charge for parking as a means to, you know, to be financially sustainable and make it work. Because otherwise, you know, if you acquire a road but you have no income, you know, unless you're, <laughs> you know, unless you have generous donors, or so, you know, who's going to continue paying for, you know, the insurance, the maintenance, and then most importantly, yeah. we really just needed improvements. And so that's kind of how it all started.
0: Wow, that this is quite an adventure, uh, quite the story. And I'm just wondering about like what made you feel so persistent. I mean, I think a lot of people um, would have gotten frustrated, you know, at that first city council meeting or after that first bout of research that concluded we don't even know who owns this road. Like how how did you keep that drive to to just keep going and get to that place of deciding, okay, here's what we have to do.
1: Well, I have um, older stepchildren and we lived in another neighborhood when they were younger. And I used to spend an hour, uh, probably an hour and 20 minutes driving them to all their different schools every day. Mm-hmm. And so when we moved into this neighborhood and our elementary school was right around the corner, you know, I, and my son at the time was in preschool, maybe three blocks up from the uh, two blocks up from the elementary school. So, you know, I, I, I was excited. I could walk my kids to school. I had, you know, him in the, you know, Bob stroller and I've got my daughter who's in kindergarten. And I'm thinking, isn't this great? Yeah. And then one day when I was walking, I had my cell phone in my hand and someone hit, a, a lady was driving an older lady and she was luckily going really slow, which is mm-hmm. not common on the road because people would just fly down this road. Cause it was, it was just like a law. It was like almost just over a quarter mile with mm-hmm. nothing, no center line, no stops, no traffic calming. I mean, it just just a, it was like a, it was like a speedway. Right. And people would cut through there to get to kind of like Waikiki beach from one side of town. So there were just people that you could see start on one end and go out the other. It was not local traffic. Right. So Mm -hmm. my hand, she hit my hand. It didn't, you know, I wasn't injured or anything. And I just thought if she were, you know, six inches over, I would have been hit or what if my kids were hit? So I just stopped walking. So, I mean, it was kind of a joke. I would you know, load the kids up in the minivan and literally drive not even two big blocks, two very short blocks to drop my daughter off, then drive one, two blocks up another road and then do an illegal U-turn and like this, you know, drive through um, restaurant and come back. And all the while I'm just adding to more traffic. Right. And I, and I did yeah. this for, I mean, this whole process from the time I, st- I started this in about early 2016 and it's only recently that we've been able to, you know, like the acquisition happened in uh, October of 2020 And only recently have we been able to, you know, make some improvements. So, you know, during that five-year period, there were times when I was busy and I sort of gave up and then, you know, a few months would go by and then, you know, it just, I just couldn't believe, you know, that that Mm -hmm. nobody seemed to care and that I couldn't even walk down the street without feeling, you know, like, like I was going to die. You know I mean? It was literally that bad. I mean, when I would go to events at the school, especially at night, if there was no, you know, there would be no parking. So it was easier to walk. You know, my husband would say, I don't want you walking home. I will drive and pick you up. I mean, it's two, like not even two full blocks. It's so close. So it was, it was, I mean, it was a lot of it was just because, you know, that's what It was something that was like hugely important to me personally. So I guess in that regard, it was selfish, but there were many other people in the neighborhood who, you know, were affected. I mean, obviously everyone who walked around there, it was, it was, it was really bad. And a lot of people grumbled about it, complained about it. People had made many attempts in the past to sort of like, you know, get something done, but you know, it was a really frustrating situation. So at some point, a lot of people gave up and then, I don't know, I guess I just, just, got so far into it, there was no turning back.
0: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I think that story about a road that is so frustratingly dangerous and yet you should be able to walk along it. I mean, that's, I think everyone has a road that they can think of in their city that unfortunately looks like that. And it is just so maddening and frustrating. So you figured out that the only way to really solve the problem was to buy the road what happened next? Um, how did you go about like, making that happen? And then what sort of changes have you been able to make since purchasing the road?
1: I sent a proposal to LumaLila Trust and they accepted it. And, you know, we completed the transaction that was October of last year. Well, the first thing we did was lower the, was change the speed limit signs. And, you know, one of Mm -hmm. the big challenges that's, you know, this has not been an easy process. Let me tell you, the first thing we did was to reduce the speed limit from 25 miles per hour to 15 miles per hour and to add school zone signs near the school. But part of the problem with being, you know, an individual owning a road is that you just don't have the resources. You don't have, you just don't even have the, the, you don't know what, how to communicate with the community. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I mean, I naively thought that just changing, lowering a speed limit sign would be something that people would be really happy about. But Mm. there was an initial shock and, you know, people took photographs of, you know, me up on a ladder changing the sign and my friend helping me and then posted it on this, you know, like some next door app thing saying there's Uh, vigilantes out here, you know, touching the city signs. They called, you know, the city, they complained, they this. And I'm thinking, Who could possibly complain about a lowered speed limit and a school zone sign? But, you know, I think a lot of it was people just like like me in the beginning. You have no idea that these roads are private. You have no idea that there's, you know, hundreds of miles of them in our city. And so people were thinking, oh, this person is just coming in and, you know, stealing signs. And I had notified, Mm -hmm. you know, HPD, our police department. Mm-hmm. You know, ahead of time, because, you know, I, I, I said, look, we've acquired the road, you know, we're going to be changing signs, we're going to be lowering the speed limit, you know, I tried to communicate in, in some ways, but, you know, there's no, no such thing as a community bulletin board, right? Like, there's no, we have mm-hmm. a neighborhood board, but unfortunately, very few people attend these meetings, like, you know, maybe they get, yeah. you know, even on the hottest topic, you know, maybe they get 15 people that show up. And they, they email out meeting minutes and things, but I don't even think anyone reads them or pays attention. So it's it's really hard to communicate. And so th- there's been a lot of drama surrounding that. There's people keep saying like, no one's letting us know, no one's letting us know. Our city councilman got involved at some point after the acquisition. He helped by sending out a letter to like 350 area addresses sort of explaining, you know, what was going on. It included my email address so people could contact me if they had questions and whatnot. So that was sort of the initial thing we did. Um, We then went and planted um, 16 street trees um, between the, um, there's like a, a kind of an asphalt pathway in front of the elementary school. Then there was like a grass strip and then the road. And unfortunately, without the raised sidewalks, there's no curb. So people would just, you know, pull over and park, you know, in the grass on the, on the, this asphalt pavement all the time, especially the parents because they're waiting for their children. They just want to get off the road. And, you know, if you have a raised improved sidewalk, you just can't get off the road. I mean, you can't pull up on the sidewalk, but Mm -hmm. because of this, you know, people were doing that. And the vice principal used to go out every morning and lay cones up and down the road so that people wouldn't park on the grass, on the, on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. And then every afternoon he would go out and lift and pull them all out. So
0: I had, oh I started,
1: a, um, I just, you know, reached out to a bunch of, you know, my kids, friends and and parents. And I said, look, I will get the trees and let's have a planting day. And so mm-hmm. each family planted a tree and we made these little metal tags and put them on the tree so that, you know, they could remember their time at Waikiki Elementary School. And, you know, that tree would always be there. And,
0: you know, oh, that's and, great. and
1: part of it is that I was trying, to, I was trying to keep everything we're doing. I mean. With to the city standards, hoping that at some point they might change their mind and want to acquire the road, Mm -hmm. and so you know down to even the street trees we selected and the distancing that we used, it was all to their city code, and um, so it was really cute. We got these great trees along the along the school. We solved you know parking on the sidewalk problem at least in that particular you know area, and and it was really a fun project. The kids loved it. They still drive by and say, Mm -hmm. "Oh, there's my tree. There's my tree." So. Um, we, we had to put up private road signs um, at all the entrances to the street. That's one of the requirements that the city kind of asked for that, you know, just to let people know that it is private property. Mm-hmm. Um, we put we striped the outer edge of both sides of the road to more clearly sort of define mm-hmm. the, the separation between the sidewalk, the unimproved sidewalks and, and the roadway. We put some reflective pavement markers on one side. I mean, then things got a little rough because there were a lot of people that lived in this one area, pulley circle that had apartments with maybe only one parking space. And there were some that had none. Mm-hmm. So people had been parking on the side, the unimproved sidewalks, you know, all over the place for for, for decades. Right. And, yeah. you know, the, okay. the police, the police never enforced it because, you know, it was, you know, sure, somebody would probably complain and they'd come through and ticket everybody you know, maybe once a year, maybe once every two years. So that's when things sort of heated up because we, you know, we put out barricades with signs. We, I had started um, an email list, you know, so I could get information out to like some of the apartments, you know, their property management company, so they could give it out to people, you know, there Mm -hmm. there really wasn't any way to really get information out there. So we took three areas that were the most dangerous. and We we started towing the cars off the sidewalks I mean, we gave everyone plenty of notice, you know, Mm -hmm. That, you know, this was coming, it was the most dangerous areas, there was still plenty of parking, you know, along along the parks, but and this was like closest to the actual entrance of this, this, this sort of circle where all the condos were. Mm -hmm. And this is where the majority of the kids would walk and then have to walk in the street, my, my, my family included. So we started with that. And then in the meantime, we had come up with a plan. And it was designed by transportation engineers, I mean, it was fully engineered, and we submitted it to the city they don't have jurisdiction. There's no permit process. We literally could do whatever we wanted as long as we don't stop access to, you know, there's a public easement for, you know, the right of way. I was so angry at the city. I didn't even want, I was just kind of like, forget you guys, you're terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I was angry, you know? And, you know, my attorney said, no, you know what? You don't want to get into a battle with the city. It's better to work with them. And he sort of talked me down. I said, okay, fine. So we, submitted um in january of this year we submitted a plan to the city and we just mm-hmm. said please let us know if you have any objection you know do you you know are we blocking emergency access we you know, because there's still a lot of overlap right i mean private mm-hmm. road or not i mean there's street lights there's you know this and and the city actually is about 70 percent they either own, partially own, or control 70% of the adjacent property. So hmm. you know, we, it, it, he was right. There was no reason to get into a battle with them or do something that would really you know, cause them harm. So it took them about five months to review it. And they came back and just said, we don't, we don't have any input. We don't have any objection. So okay. we, um, and then at that point, we, so the plan was to create a yielding movement road. So we, we moved all of the, we, we, we created parking spaces on one side of the road Mm -hmm. with pullout areas, you know, adequate for, um, you know, the, the type of road it was. And that way it allowed us to at least clear the side, the unimproved sidewalks. So you can walk on them. I mean, they're not in some areas, they're not in really great condition. They're kind of rocky. And, you know, in other areas, there's a couple of some property owners that haven't that won't remove their trees that they planted because they didn't want people parking Mm -hmm. in front of their house. So there's trees and other things like that. So that was, you know, we, so we put in the yield movement, we put in the parking spaces, and then we put in a parking management company who, who, you know, collects the collects income. You know, we charge there's hourly, daily and monthly rates Mm -hmm. and they manage all of the parking and you know, all there is a deed restriction that we have to use all of the proceeds for maintenance and improvements of the road. So Makes we, sense. you know, that's that's what we're doing. And slowly, 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 we're trying to get the sidewalks improved. And so, yeah. And obviously, you can imagine that there were members of the community that were that were not thrilled with this. So
0: Yeah, yeah. I was gonna ask about that. Definitely, you know, in, in some of the articles I was reading about this, it sounded like there was some, some positive feedback and some negative feedback as often happens when you change people's parking situation. How have you dealt with that response?
1: Well, you know, it's just because of the type of road it is, there's so many different stakeholders and each and so many different people have everybody has their own agenda. You know, people are inherently selfish and they want, you know, they want what they want. And obviously trying to please everyone is just never going to happen. You know, the people that live, you know, in the Poulet Circle area, parking is a huge thing that they want and need, and they're not happy about having to pay for it. They're not happy that they can't just, you know, walk outside their door and there's, you know, their car right on the sidewalk. Some of them, you know, are... Are really enjoy the area because, you know, where we are, I mean, it's a beautiful area to live and there's parks and there's the beach, you know, it's a five minute walk across the park to Waikiki beach. I mean, it's really nice. So some of them are thrilled and send me emails saying, I've been living here for 38 years and I've never felt safe walking down the street. Thank you for what you've done. Others are like, you've taken away parking. I'm working three jobs. I can't afford to pay for parking. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the community garden where there's people that live in the community and walk there. But then there's a number of people that don't and they would, you know, they used to just drive up, park right on the sidewalk, right on the right. crosswalk and water their garden for five minutes and leave. You know, you have the school who's like, you know, creates huge amounts of traffic, but only for very, very short periods of time mm-hmm. and only, you know, obviously on school days. You know, you kind of have two residential areas. There's the area, you know, there's kind of two separate areas. There's one area um, towards the end. On one end, that's, you know, kind of a more affluent area. I mean, you go up to like these, you know, 30,000 square foot estates, right, on the top of, on the slopes of Diamond Head and everything. And, you know, none of those people want parking. You know, I had had one neighbor say to me, like, well, I don't care about these people and their parking. Like, that's their problem. They should go park somewhere else or go bike, you know, like, why can't we Mm -hmm. have two lanes back? I don't like driving 15 miles an hour. I don't like driving slow. And I don't care about those people, you know, so... I mean, it's a really mixed bag. And I think the only thing that for me is the most important is that we have significantly reduced the speeding cut-through traffic because people that don't live in the area who used to cut through, they don't like having to drive you know, slower to mm-hmm. yield to oncoming cars and to drive that way. So they're now using other roads, right? There, mm-hmm. There's another road that is parallels it one block down that they can use very easily. So they've kind of left. So we've reduced tra- overall traffic a lot. And the overall speed has also gone down. I can tell when I'm driving, you know, people used to fly. I mean, you could do 45 down the road, but now Mm -hmm. you really have to, you know, slow down. You have to, look for cars. You have to be very, you have to drive very mindfully, you mm-hmm. know? And I mean, even my own husband complains. I mean, he, he <laughs> likes the speed I and mean, we would drive down the street before and I would say, slow down, you know? And he's like, well, I'm only doing 30 and the speed limit's 25. And I'm like, there's kids all over the place in the road. There's strollers. There's, it's, it's a, there's a lot of pedestrians on this road. It's like constant mm-hmm. all day long, you know? So equitably, I would say that everyone is affected by reduced speeds, but it's a good thing you know, yeah. it's a very good thing. Sounds and like obviously huge accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. And obviously if we didn't have to charge for parking to be able to support this project, that would be ideal. You know, no, nobody likes paying for parking. Although I, it's funny, I have another neighbor who's like very, and, you know, the area we live in, they don't police the parking all around the park at all. So there's a lot of people that are living in their cars. There were mm. cars that sat on the road for weeks at a time. And I I never figured out if they were just second cars that no one was using mm-hmm. or if someone was storing them from another neighborhood, knowing that no one ever policed this, pro- this area. Yeah. And we've gotten rid of a lot of those. You know, the, the ab- We towed a bunch of abandoned cars that no one ever picked up. Um, mm. And so you know the, that, that was managing parking in a way, I think, also creates, at least for us in our area,
0: created a much better environment. So. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> So from what you've said, it sounds like you've been able to block off a sidewalk area, at least more safely for people to use. And then is the next step lobbying for the city or trying to find other funds to make that sidewalk um, nicer and safer for people?
1: Yes. So the city, the city it's it's not going to happen that they're going to contribute. I mean, they've sort of, mm. it's funny, they just released their draft citywide pedestrian plan and included Leahhi Avenue on it. You know, and I sort of said, well, if it's on the plan, then shouldn't it assume that there are improved sidewalks or at least cleared sidewalks on it, but yeah. not the case, <laughs> not the case. <laughs> so um, yeah, so we've, we've slowly been, you know, just getting the cars off with step one, trying to get the few houses that are blocking, you know, with their trees done. I've been trying to get some vendors for like other modes of transit, you know, like um, bike share, car share, there's now these sorts of like electric foot scooters that are coming into our city and people talk about electric bikes and things like that. So what I'm hoping is that people will be interested in these and then we can approach these vendors and say, you know, would you, I have already approached the bike share vendor and, you know, say, would you like to put a station on our road? And, and it, it's actually oh, yeah. a perfect candidate for these because there's so many people and a lot of them don't have multiple vehicles or, you know, they, they prefer to bike or walk. I mean, if you're going to Waikiki, the the really uh, congested part of Waikiki, you know, it's much easier to take a bicycle there if you just bike across the park because it's like just too far to walk where you get, you know, really hot and sweaty mm-hmm. if you were to go there to like go out to dinner or something. So, and in exchange for them, you know, having these stations or
0: things, they would contribute to sidewalk improvements. That sounds like a great system. So I wanted to zoom out a little bit beyond just this project and ask, you know, um, what led you to be interested in Strong Towns? And I know that that you're a member. Um, Thank you so much for for being a supporting member of Strong Towns. How did you get plugged into this initially?
1: Well, my background is in civil engineering. And I, I worked in building construction, not transportation for many years when I was younger, and then went into commercial real estate development, and then, you know, had children. So I, I do have a <laughs> a small but dangerous amount of information <laughs> in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and as I was working on this project, you know, I did a, just a ton of research. I mean, I read and I read, I read our city complete streets plan. I read all sorts of articles. I have, you know, pages of web pages, you know, on there. And Mm -hmm. at some point I stumbled upon strong towns and I just saw it. And I started reading the articles. I think I followed the Facebook page and I, you know, I really, really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed reading it. And, you know, for me it was eye opening. you know, I didn't, it's not something you really think about, you know, like urban, kind of like urban residential design, you know, when I was in college, you know, we, I, I took some transportation engineering classes and I just remember it being like, okay, if you have like a six lane highway, how many, how many turn signals and how long is a signal? I mean, this was like, this was a very long time ago, but I just remember they, I don't remember ever, ever them touching on anything to do with, you know, just a simple neighborhood road. It was always these like, you know, freeways and bridges and things like that. And, it was really, really eye-opening. I love all of the articles that you guys write, and you know, it's it, it when you get really get into it, and especially for me because I'm actually working on a road project, it really is eye-opening. And I, I and I'm very appreciative, and I and I really enjoy it. So I like what you guys do.
0: Well, we are in awe of what you're doing. You're like putting this into action. It's wonderful to see. So to close us out here. What advice would you offer for someone else who is seeing that frustrating, dangerous road in their own city and, you know, probably might not be in a situation where they can buy it. But what sort of tactics would you suggest for someone who is in that situation, seeing that dangerous road and wanting to change it in some way? Don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Going down a five year road.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, in our case, in our case, because of the ownership issues, that was what held it up. I think if you if it's clearly owned by whatever municipality is, is there Mm -hmm. just attention, you know, petitions, you know, getting out there. I mean, even guerrilla signage, you know, putting putting up signs on the road, you know, it's I mean, you really you have to fight. You really have to fight and 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 keep going and not back down because ultimately, and, and, you know, a little public shaming of public officials is always, (laughs) always helpful. That sometimes works, You know, yeah. I mean, it's not easy and it's, you know, and you're not, you might make some enemies along the way, but, you know, that's all I can say is you
0: just gotta, you gotta stay strong and you gotta just keep going. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mary Jones, for, for sharing your story with us, um, for being such an inspiration. Um, I'll share some links for people to some of the the news articles that have been covering, um, your work. Is there anywhere else that people can find what you're doing on the street or more from you? Are you on social media or have a website or anything? No, we don't. Um, I generally distribute information, um,
1: through like a, through a like our, just an email database that I've sort of built up. So, I mean, I can, if anyone wanted to email me and get on the, get on the email list to see what we're doing, they can absolutely do that.
0: Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me for this conversation. It was so great to talk with you. Thank you. All right. I just love that story. And I know I'm going to be thinking about it and inspired by it for many weeks and months to come. If you want to share something that's going on in your community, a way that you're being active, building Strong Towns, or just some feedback for the show, uh, feel free to email me or send in a voicemail to rachel at Thank you as always to our Strong Towns members. If you are listening to this story about Mary Jones and being like, wow, I wish I could do that. Well, you can. And there are people all over this country, all over this continent, doing amazing things to build Strong Towns. If that is you, if you're striving for that, Strong Towns is here for you. We have resources. We're sharing stories like this one. We want you to be inspired and empowered to take action in your community. And a huge part of that and everything that enables that comes from our members, people like Mary Jones, who are doing that work in their community and who are also saying, I want to help others to do that too, by supporting Strong Towns. So if you want to join Mary, if you want to be part of this movement that we are building together, please become a supporting member by visiting strongtowns.org slash membership. Thanks so much. All right, y'all. We will see you back here next week for another episode. Take care.